Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. And I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we're going to be talking today about grieving dads and helping them find hope. And we've got a great dad on who's lost a couple of kids and who really has been on a great journey of hope and helping other men. So Heidi, uh, why don't you introduce him? Sure, I'd love to. His name is Kelly Farley. And like you said, Mom, we're going to be talking about grieving dads to the brink and back. Kelly lost his daughter, Katie, in 2004 and his son, Noah, in 2006. He works with Brief Dads. He is the founder of Bereavement Parents Act of 2019, uh, along with Barry Kluger. And he is the author of Grieving Dads to the Brink and Back. And he has a current workbook out, which was just published, which is a companion to that book. So welcome to the show, Kelly. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's great to have you on, and uh, I've, you know, read a bit about, and we've talked to you before about your experience of uh, having your kids die. I wanted to ask you, you said that uh, people respond differently to men and women, and I I wanted to get right to it. What's happening with guys? Well, oftentimes, at least from what I learned uh, from my own experience, and also um, I interviewed or went out and met probably thousands of grieving dads. And the biggest thing, you know, I hear this a lot is um, the question, just an example, is the question's always, how is your wife doing, mm-hmm. right? They never, they never ask, how are you doing? Um, and I'm guessing oftentimes they're not asking the mom, how's your husband doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of that has to do with we're expected to toughen up. Um, I don't, I don't, I, don't you know, I shouldn't say we're expected to, because I think um, if you ask most people, most would say, yeah, you know, they men would feel the pain of losing a child. It's just, it's just, it's forgotten, I think, oftentimes, because they focus more uh, on the mother. And a lot of times, because the men really aren't forthcoming with their emotions. So, you know, they keep that stoic look, a lot of them, not all of them. Um, They keep that stoic look, so everybody thinks, well, there's no problem there, right? He must be doing okay. He's handling it all right. There's a, there's a line in my book that talks about like if 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 a if, if a man must cry then he should do so in private, mm. right? That's that's kind of the and even other men. I mean, I don't at first early on it was uncomfortable for me to sit in a room with other men that was crying. It was it's just it's just awkward for men to be around other men that are crying. It's just not what we were taught from a young age of big boys don't cry, toughen up. Um, if you keep crying, I'll give you something to cry about. That's kind of the mentality in which. I grew up in a very blue collar area that was, that was just toughen up and knock it off. And if you need to talk about your emotions, first of all, don't, but if you need to, to, to kind of blow off steam, you head to the bar and that's where you blow it off and then get back to life. What happens to guys who just suck it up? What's your thought? Mm. Well, I know what happened to me. I, as I, I took that stance the first time after losing Katie, I uh, became very uh, well, angry um, a lot of times, you know, what's, what's one emotion that society is comfortable with for men? It's anger, right? Oh, he's just, he's, he's, he's mad. He's blown off steam. 
he'll calm down, let him be. But if that man's crying, it's like, ooh, okay, how do we, how do we handle him, right? Sometimes it's like, well, he's a wuss. He's weak. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's how we feel. And I've been doing the workshops. And it's, I'll be honest with you, it's hard to get guys to show up to workshops uh, because even guys don't want to walk into a room full of other guys and feel vulnerable. Because, you know, they, it's an emotional situation when you get in the room. Uh, most of them show up. They act like they don't want to be there. Um, but by the time the day is over, um, it's amazing to me to see how the men support each other. Like, all it takes is the first guy to start showing emotion. And once that first guy starts to show emotion, it's, it's interesting to see how the energy in the room shifts. And you see the guys, like, handing the other guy a tissue and putting their hand on their shoulder. Um, and then when it gets to the next guy, all of a sudden, by the time we go around the room and tell our stories, it's amazing. Like most of the men started to break down. Everybody starts to get comfortable with it. Uh, but walking into that room for the first time and never being in a room full of other men that are like emotional, that's, um, you know, it's not comfortable situation. And a lot of guys don't like to do it. And I get it. Um, I was that guy. I didn't want to be vulnerable. And I tell the guys in the workshops, I say, you know, there's a time and place to be strong uh, bearing a child or dealing with the aftermath of bearing a child is not one of those times. It's okay to surrender. In fact, it's a must. If you, if you're going to survive this and in fact, not just survive it, but learn to thrive afterwards, I think you have to learn to be vulnerable and tell your story, all of it. And you may have to tell it multiple times just to get that pain out. There's parts of my story. I could never early on. I could never say out loud. And then I got comfortable saying the story and then I'd break down crying when I'm trying to get it out. Now I can say the story or tell the story and it doesn't, it doesn't impact me emotionally most of the time. Mm -hmm. And the story changes too. That's one of the things that they're finding out in grief and loss. Catherine Shear uh, does a complicated grief. Her whole model is people telling their story and she talks about how your story changes. As mm -hmm. you tell your story, you find pieces. Sure. Oh yeah. You haven't told yet. I, yeah. I believe that. Yeah. Well, I think before you've ever told your story, it's more fragmented and sometimes you've forgotten parts of it. Or like Kelly said, it's even hard to give it voice mm -hmm. because the right. first time you say it to other people, it's almost like you're saying it to yourself. And My brother's dead and he's never coming back, basically. It's hard to, you know, share that with other people. How do you reach the hurting guys? I mean, how, how do you oh. let them It's a tough, even for me, and I, I think... My book, I designed my book, and I know we'll chat about it later, but I designed my book um, to speak to guys the way I needed to be spoken to uh, early on. And that's very direct and very matter of fact. And, and, and we didn't shy away from the truth. You know, it's not about another angel in heaven. It's not about, it's not your typical rainbows and butterflies grief book. It's, it's a very matter of fact to the point, and it doesn't pull any punches. And I, and I wrote it that way on purpose. Mm -hmm. um, one is to get the guys to feel their pain and, and to also acknowledge what they've been dealt is, is real. Um, we also talk about PTSD and trauma. I was diagnosed with it and I, and I it shocked me because I thought I was just, just dealing with grief. Um, and I, I fought it for, I fought it going to a doctor or, or telling anybody what I was feeling for almost a year. Um, but the depression and the despair and the flashbacks and everything had gotten so bad, um, I could I could literally see myself like dying. I mean, I could see it in the mirror. I could see myself losing weight. I couldn't eat. Um, I just would not surrender. 
because I thought, just keep at it, keep at it. If you bury it deep enough, it'll go away. And it didn't. Um, and it manifested itself in the depression, stuff I've never experienced before. I mean, 10 being your best day, I never operated below an eight. Um, so, Kelly, what is, when you said you needed to surrender, what did that look like? Uh, asking for help. And for me, it was a couple different things. Uh, I went to my general practitioner and um, he told me, you know, hey, Kelly, I think you're dealing, you got just depression. I'm like, eh, it's not, it's not depression. Depression's for weak people. I'm not weak. You know, that, that's the ignorance I had back then. Um, and I kept fighting him on it. He's like, nah, I, I, have you been to a counselor? Nope, not going to a counselor. Um, I don't need that, you know, and, and then about, that lasted for about three days. I was convinced there was something physically wrong with me. So he put me through a CAT scan for my brain because I was having weird headaches and weird symptoms. Um, that came back obviously fine, thankfully. Um, and about three days later, I'm having these, these um, I'm on the living room floor to be quite honest with you. I'm on all fours on the living room floor begging for pain to be um, relieved. And it just would not. And I remember the prescription he wrote me for antidepressant and the business card he gave me for a counselor. And I'm like, all right, something's got to give. So I remember going over to the local pharmacy and walking in and I was embarrassed like uh, that, that, I had, that I needed a pill to fix my problem. Um, I was embarrassed that I had to go to a counseling office and sit in the lobby because I was worried somebody was going to see me um, that knows me, right? Like, what, what are they going to think? Like, why is Kelly in a counseling office, right? Um, but that, that first counseling session, um, I walked out of there feeling like a load had been lifted off my shoulders, just a little bit, right? It wasn't a ton, but I, I felt like I started to have some hope. Um, so when you asked me what surrender means to me, that that's what it was for me is finally just going, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to be vulnerable um, and see people, have people see me like where I'm at, right? Whether that's in despair or whether I'm happy, just don't always, you don't have to always put this facade on that everything's fine when it's not. I love it. when you said that was your first moment of hope, didn't you, Heidi? Yeah. Yes, and that's what I was going to ask him exactly. What do you think it was in that first counseling session that made you feel a little lighter? Was it telling your story? Was it being able to be vulnerable and real with somebody? Um, I mean, what I was it? All the above. Okay. All the above. I mean, just because uh, I was, um, it was the first time somebody actually sat there and listened, and 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 um, and she cried along with me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was just a, it was a counselor, and in all fairness to her, she she had a four month old, so I mean, she was probably not too far away from uh, well she wasn't she was four months four months away from having her own baby so I mean, it was i'm sure it was emotional for her to hear my story um but it was uh it was eye-opening for me and, and another another thing of hope for me i'm a firm believer of um trying to do something to change your situation whether that's well now go to counseling but even then it was i was looking into taking classes to become a counselor even though i was in no condition at all to be a counselor for anybody. But I thought if I took classes, maybe it would give me some hope to start maybe going down a path, which I didn't know where it was going to lead me, didn't know where I was going to end up. But at least it gave me um, some hope of something I was doing to maybe change my situation, and help other people through the loss of a child. That's, that's fantastic because that's one of the things that Heidi and I have found when people start, first of all, you got to take care of yourself. You're number right. one, you got to take 
but when people are doing well enough that they can start reaching out a little bit and you know doing something to help other people you don't i think you don't feel so much victimized tell us about what you're doing now with your men's group and your book and your you know how people can get a hold of you and your workbook and uh, all the things you're doing i actually worked with a, a life coach of all people after i got through the counseling because i was at the end of that dark tunnel i'd come out of it you know there's still some bad days but i actually had hope and I'm like, man, what? I can't go back to the guy I was before. That guy's gone, right? I can't go back to the life before. I know too much. I can't live my life in a corporate job doing just meaningless, soul-sucking type work. I know too much now, right? And I want to live a life that would honor Katie and Noah. So um, through working with the coach, I came up with the idea of developing a, a blog, which is where it started with. It was called the Grieving Dads blog in uh, late 2009. And uh, as soon as I launched it, and uh, I'm, I'm by no means a computer programmer, but I launched this blog. Within a couple of days, I started hearing from men around the world. Uh, because when I did surrender and look for, for resources, there was nothing out there for men. I couldn't find anything that spoke to me uh, that's strictly designed for men. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to create it. And so I started traveling around, interviewing men, um, interviewed several hundred for the book, since then, I've probably spoken to um, thousands of grieving dads since then. But um, the book is called Grieving Dads to the Brink and Back. It was published in 2012. And um, I literally literally hear from men probably weekly um, that still reach out to me, that they found my book. They, um, I hear from men saying the book saved their life, which is it's humbling to, to, to realize I created a, sort, a resource that helps men. It's made that big a difference. Some guys say they carry the resource around with them as a comfort, which is pretty cool. Um, so that was published in 2012. And then I converted it later because I kept hearing from men that they don't like to read. Right? Oh, well, I don't read. Like, have you read my book? No, I don't read. Okay, I, I got an audio version. You like to listen to it? So I gave them, trying to give them an excuse not to, you know, say I don't read and I'm not going to read it. Well, listen, thank you, Kelly, for all you're doing to honor your kids and for to help bereaved men. It's really fabulous. And to give it, people your website one more time. Yes, grievingdads.com. Grievingdads.com. Thank yep. you, Kelly. That's it. Thank you for your time. Have a good yeah. day. Thank you, Kelly, for what you're doing. You're really resonating with men. I love how upfront you are and how real you are because I think that you really, men, you get it. And right. men realize that. So please go and get Kelly's book, get his workbook. And thanks for bringing hope to all out there that are grieving. And we want to thank everybody for joining us today. And Heidi and I and Kelly want to remind you all that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.